You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Knock at the Cabin, which came out in 2023. It was directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It stars Dave Batista, Ben Aldridge, Jonathan Groff, Kristen Kui, Nikki Amuka Bird, Abby Quinn, and Rupert Grint. The genre would be psychological thriller. My name's Leonard. It's nice to meet you. Why are you here? I suppose I'm here to make friends with you. And your dad's too. But my heart is broken. Why is it broken? Because of what I have to do today. We were called and are united by a common vision, which has now become a command that we cannot ignore. The four of us are here to prevent the apocalypse. Your family has been chosen to make a horrible decision. If you fail to choose, the world will end. Well, M. Night finally did it. He has stuck the landing with a well-acted chamber piece thriller, which effectively manages to wring every possible ounce of tension and emotion out of its deceptively simple premise. And it's one hell of an apocalyptic premise at that. What if the only thing standing in the way of a looming global catastrophe, which could destroy human existence, was that you had to sacrifice someone from your immediate family? Even worse, though, what if this message was delivered to your family in the middle of nowhere by a ragtag group of strangers carrying medieval weapons, including Ron Weasley, Rupert Grint playing Redmond, the angriest of the bunch, and a hulking Dave Batista? Well, the result is roughly 100 minutes of sustained tension, which barely lets up at points. The target are Eric, Andrew, and their intuitive young daughter, Wen, played by Ben Aldridge, Jonathan Groff, and Kristen Kui, respectively, all giving strong performances as a loving family effectively put through the ringer. I don't know what's going on here. But where are the keys to the truck you guys came in through? I'm taking my family. And we're leaving. Do you really think that everything that happened today, everything we've seen, do you really think it's all just a coincidence? Yes. I think it's all coincidence. Some horrible, unexplainable coincidence. Or it has to be a trick. I have to believe that! You already don't believe that. There are both brutal and suspenseful moments akin to your typical home invasion thriller, but of course the stakes end up getting raised significantly beyond that. Therefore, visitors also include an empathetic nurse, Sabrina, played by Nikki Amuka Bird, and a quirky cook, Ardian, played by Abby Quinn, each brandishing weapons, but also clearly freaked out by their circumstances as well. Honestly, from the get-go, everyone is on edge within this cabin, even though their goals are not necessarily aligned. It didn't have to be like this. Get one out of here. 
Everyone among the cast is strong, but the biggest standout is Batista, in a career-best performance as Leonard, who is the de facto leader of this small band of apocalyptic messengers. He is very soft-spoken, but still has a lot to say, as it often falls upon his character to explain the plot and the stakes involved. You have to understand that we cannot and will not choose who is to be sacrificed for you. And just as importantly, we cannot act for you. You cannot kill yourselves. We're not choosing anyone. We're not sacrificing anyone. Not now, not ever. Even if it means the death of everyone else in the world. Yes. Even if I believe the world was at stake, which I don't, that's what it means. I would watch the world die a hundred times over before having... Christ. Waste of time. They're never going to choose to do this. And I don't blame them. Given the potential absurdity of the overall premise, he truly sells it with an unnerving aura of doom coming from every gesture or inflection. Now, whether our central protagonists, who would be Andrew and Eric, or even the audience is actually buying what he's portending, that's besides the point. We believe that Leonard buys it with every fiber of his being. Leonard is clearly someone who has witnessed something both confounding and terrifying enough to have gone through this bizarre route of terrifying this family, insisting that they make this impossible choice, as have the other three in this group. If nothing else, Bautista has proven with this performance that as an actor, he's the real deal, despite his outsized appearance. In the ongoing fictitious race among ex-WWE performers to become genuine film stars, Dave Bautista has now surpassed both Dwayne Johnson and John Cena as far as I'm concerned. Of course, the true star of this shindig is still M. Knight. He brings all of his strength to this tale, effective atmosphere, willingness to take narrative leaps, brisk pacing, and engrossing camera work, and very few of his weaknesses. For the most part, his characters actually talk like actual human beings. Now, they have their quirks, but never too much to often overwhelm the story akin to The Happening, which came out about 15 years ago, or the still slightly underrated old, previous episode old, from a couple of years ago. I was in a pharmacy a while ago. It was a really good-looking pharmacist behind the counter. Really good-looking. I went up and I asked where the cough syrup was. I didn't even have a cough. And I almost bought it. And I'm talking about a completely superfluous bottle of cough syrup. Also, like I stated, the third act of this movie stays true to the rest of the film which precedes it. Unlike M. Night opuses like Signs or The Village, the story does not go off the rails, nor does it fizzle towards the end. Now, even though that might sound like faint praise, it actually isn't. Because all those aforementioned movies all had fantastic setups, as does this. One difference maker here might be that this is the rare instance of M. Night Shyamalan not only adapting previously written material, which is Paul Tremblay's acclaimed novel from 2018 called The Cabin at the End of the World, but he also collaborated on the screenplay for a change with co-writers Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman. This collaboration seems to have grounded his characters as a result, keeping the focus on this challenging premise for the entire runtime. And it pleases me to say that this story truly has the courage of its convictions, leading to a finale, which I found pretty impactful. Of course, the movie is still not perfect. There's an over-reliance on flashbacks, which might be the weakest scenes throughout the movie, along with some visual stuff towards the end, which probably goes a bit too far at somewhat over-explaining things to the audience. And predictably, M. Night still cannot seem to help himself when it comes to having distracting cameos in his own movies. Now, the one he does here, it's kind of funny, but it still takes you out of the movie when it happens. Also, the movie has some visceral moments of violence, which are generally effective, but sometimes seem to be filmed in a pull-away manner designed to preserve a PG-13 rating for the movie, which is strange since this movie is actually rated R. 
And this brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. This film does have a pretty effective full-on horror score from up-and-coming composer Herdis Steffensdotter. But honestly, there have still been few times recently when watching a new movie in theaters that it was more obvious as to which song was the needle drop. And this song is also a carryover from another movie, actually one of the more legendary soundtracks, which would be previous episodes, Saturday Night Fever. No, it's not from the Bee Gees, but this one is the catchy disco hit Boogie Shoes from 70s sensation KC and the Sunshine Band. We first hear it relatively early in the movie in a scene which is also shown in that first teaser trailer. Our family is driving towards the titular cabin, cheerily singing along. It works. But then we hear a reprise of the song later in the movie at a key moment, and it works even better. Not going to spoil anything, but let's just say that M. Night knows his ironic needle drops, and he uses them well. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, I'm going to go in a bit of a strange direction here, but bear with me. For me, the wasted talent is actually the marketing department at Universal Pictures, which released this film in North America. Their first teaser for this movie, which came out last year, just revealed the initial premise and nothing else. It was very effective. And they should have just left it at that. But the second trailer, which came out just a couple of months ago, it gave away much more, including two egregious shots, which revealed too much of what occurs in the third act. Now, this, of course, would not be the first time this has happened with a thriller or this type or even the last. However, this movie had some obvious selling points, including the M. Night brand. There was just no need to show more than necessary. No doubt, as a studio, Universal has been running pretty strong recently. They were ranked number one for market share among all other studios for releasing a series of hits in various genres last year, including Jurassic World Dominion, The Black Phone, still got to see that, Ticket to Paradise, and previous episode, Nope. Also, as a reminder, Universal is the main home for Blumhouse, so they know how to sell horror. But in this case, as part of an effort to sell more spectacle, they likely oversold this movie, spoiling some key elements. In order to avoid spoiling these elements myself, I'll just leave it at that. But bottom line, if you want to see this movie, avoid any trailers or TV spots before seeing it if you can. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. This is really a tough call, as this movie is pretty much an unrelenting tension machine for most of its runtime, with minimal letup. That said, there is one moment roughly about halfway through when our intruders turn on the TV in the cabin to show Andrew and Eric the global aftermath of one of their decisions. Now, we're not actually clear if what we're watching is actually real within this world, as a skeptical Eric very sharply calls into question just how easily it could be manufactured. But that doesn't make the imagery shown on screen any less affecting. Let's just say that it involves airplanes. Now, I'm honestly not sure how much of this sequence relies on CGI, manipulation of older TV footage, or even some combination of both. But wow, what we see convincingly packs a punch regardless and it effectively raises the stakes for the remainder of the movie from that point on. 
And this brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. This is actually a pretty close call as I am tempted to choose Dave Bautista, who truly stands out as the heart of this movie, with a very tricky role. But in case it wasn't obvious, this is still truly M. Night Shyamalan's movie. Now, I liked, but I did not love, previous episode Old, which is the movie he did two years ago. And this is definitely a step up from that movie. No doubt helped by the fact that this is adapted from what most consider to be very strong source material, that 2018 novel by Tremblay. Telling a story within the constraints of previously written material can often be beneficial for even the most talented of auteurs. It challenges them to sometimes make some tougher choices and avoid indulging into their most extreme impulses as filmmakers. We also saw this with recent episode Jackie Brown, which still remains the only film directed by Quentin Tarantino, which was adapted from other material, and which I maintain is the best film that he has given us over the past 25 years. Now, spoiler alert, the ending of this movie is going to be vaguely discussed. The ending of this movie, actually, and of also some other movies. Spoiler alert, you've been warned. Of course, it became public knowledge even before the release of this movie that M. Night had always planned to change the ending of this story in a somewhat dramatic fashion from the one in the original novel. And apparently he ran this by the author, who was down with it, and even thought it was a good choice. Now, I myself, knowing the original ending of that novel and now observing how he changed it, I believe this was a good direction to go. Which is not to say that M. Night gave us a truly happy ending, just a less nihilistic one. As far as I'm concerned, going the hardcore nihilistic route, ending stories like this, can be very tricky. It's just not always easy to pull off on the big screen. Sometimes it works really well, and it even makes the movie, along the lines of 2007's The Mist. Love that movie, love the ending. Come on! Come on! But other times, it just does not fit well at all, ending another otherwise strong movie on too sour of a note, along the lines of The Cabin in the Woods, which came out about 10 years ago. I don't like that ending. Considering what I know about M. Night and having seen previous films of his, like Signs, really strong comparison here, I just could not imagine him pulling off the ending of that novel. M. Night is an internal optimist, and he just does not have it in him. I really dug this ending and found that it fit perfectly with the 90 minutes which preceded it for adroitly collaborating with others while still staying true to his instincts and his talent, M. Night Shyamalan is the MVP. I mean, that's what drew me, and I guess my dream is for the audience that they're, after the movie finishes, that, that they're thinking these thoughts and um, wondering what they would have done and talking with each other about what, would have, what, what they would have done as a group. My rating for Knock at the Cabin would be four stars out of five. Overall, this is a thought-provoking thriller presenting a compelling moral quandary for several of its characters. I truly enjoyed the ride, and this very well might be M's best film since Unbreakable, maybe even his second best film overall. Though keep in mind that I was never the biggest fan of The Sixth Sense. And if you're looking to watch Knock at the Cabin, it is currently now playing in theaters. And that ends another ominous review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.